Luke 2, it's there on your handout, says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, or as John Travolta would say, Um, and everyone went to his own town to register. That was totally free. Verse 4, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's a crazy story, and I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's interesting because one of the most healthy disciplines we can have in in being a follower of Jesus, desiring a growing relationship with Him, is that we would consistently read the Bible, right? And it's never been easier in the, in, in the world than to have this discipline now. I mean, you have, you have the ability to have your Bible on your, your phone and, and, and your tablet and your computer and a printed copy. And this week I sat down with someone who just a few weeks ago made a decision to follow Jesus and, at Open Life and, and, and at my office, Starbucks. And we were sitting down and I showed him a, a, a reading plan in John and, and, and James right there and, and could set it up inside this app, which he had never heard of, and, and kind of point him in the right direction to begin to discover the love of Jesus for his life. But it's interesting because even though you know, it's a healthy discipline. Those of us who practice like reading through the Bible every year, or maybe you do a a 40-day Lent challenge that you're going to read the New Testament in 40 days. There's all these reading plans out there. You get to stories like Luke 2. Come on. And maybe I'm the only one who does this, but sometimes you're tempted to go, yeah, I know that one. Let's just move right past it, right? Or you get to like the lineage of Jesus, and you're like, whew, a lot of names. That's cool. Oh, cool. I just skipped 25 verses in my daily reading, right? And you just kind of keep going. And we do these things, but yet maybe, just maybe there's something there that we miss when we do that. And so the discipline of forcing ourselves to actually read it is interesting, right? And then beyond that, what if if it gets mundane to us, one, change the way we read. Maybe you stand up instead of sit or, you know, kneel and read that portion or just do something to mess up your routine so your brain can retain it differently. But besides that, you could look what's behind it. Look up the notes or a commentary. Search online, like, you know, and, and start to, to add to your reading. Maybe use a study Bible and, and, and start to read the notes on those portions but do something to add depth because there's something behind the story. Like, like this, Luke 2, 1 through 7, there's something behind here. There's something that happened 700 years before this that spoke to this moment. Isaiah seven fourteen says this, 
Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God was literally saying that a child would come in human form of a virgin, and it would be the Lord Himself. Hard to grasp, and specifically if you were alive 700 years before this. Think about it. 700 years earlier. But guess what's lying in a manger in Luke 2? It comes to pass. Emmanuel is here. What must have those who heard this from Isaiah, like, what were they thinking? You know, what about those who, who studied and shared this generation after generation for 700 years? They grew up studying the book of Isaiah. What in the world did they think? You know, I'm imagining it might have been, it might have seemed more like a cool fairy tale, right? It's like, it's like a Disney story or something. Yeah, because here's the deal. A virgin's going to get pregnant and have a baby. Oh, mom, tell me the story again, right? It's that, it's that kind of moment that it sounds like that, doesn't it? And then she'll just, she'll say, let it go, let it go, right? It's that moment. No, it's, it's not what's going on. This is real. Micah 5.2 says it this way before I start singing more Disney. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, Asim Hasanarabad, right? Right there. So, uh, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This is saying that a child literally that's been in existence for all of eternity in Bethlehem, will show up on the scene. Bethlehem. So this is kind of an interesting piece of the story because there, there's some history of Bethlehem. There's just, it's an interesting place. From these and other promises, the expectation and anticipation of a Savior coming has existed, right? A deliverer, a redeemer, a hero, if you would. He'll rule Israel. And they kind of maybe thought more of a physical ruler, He'll be born of a, a virgin as a male son in a little town that's literally either dozens or just a few hundred people. Bethlehem. And everyone was anticipating and waiting for this miraculous visitation and knowing, yeah, this is, okay, this is more than a, than a nursery rhyme or a story or a great Disney movie. 700 years they're waiting. And all that's fulfilled in Luke 2. See, this isn't just a, yeah, I've read that, read that nativity scene on my, during Christmas. Whew, good, that's over, right? It's not, to these guys, this is like, it's finally here. This is a big deal for those who'd grown up studying this. Now, we got to remember this book, and for, let, let me just catch you up. Some of you haven't been here the, 
the, the reason we're walking through verse by verse in the book of Luke is because of the target audience. And I, I love the target audience because, you know, there's the lineage, the Israelites, there's this lineage chosen by God, the chosen people that have learned these over the course of the hundreds and hundreds of years, all these prophecies that led up to the coming of Jesus. They knew these. They were memorized. They, they grew up studying them. But then there were the, the Gentiles, those who were not in the chosen line of God. And, and Luke, remember, he's funded by Theophilus, this guy that's wealthy and wanted to know. He's asking a lot of questions of the faith. He wanted to know, is Jesus like really the Son of God? And so Luke, a doctor, a very educated person, is, is going after the details of this story. And he's going to travel, and he's going to do interviews, and he's going to record exactly what happened so that the unchurched, the Gentiles, can understand. That's his target audience, is those who never grew up in the church. That's why I love studying this book, because in the Northwest, we're, which some faith communities, like when you do surveys in the Northwest and stuff, we're called the nun zone. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but more percentage of people in the Northwest, if surveyed about what religion are you, more people check the nun box in the Northwest than any other area in the United States. What religion are you? Well, none. They're not de-churched. We are surrounded by a huge population of those who just are unchurched. They've never grown up with a heritage passed down from generation to generation of the faith. They've not read the little Bible book when they were a kid. They didn't go to Sunday school. It's all new, right? And so here we are being taught through that lens. We're being instructed through the lens of the unchurched that this is going to be some moment where making certain for us the gospel. So as I look at this in the occurrences, and it's been 30 years since Jesus' death, so now 63 years. As Luke is writing this, it has been 63 years since this moment in Luke 2. So he's writing this, and you've got to imagine, who's alive still? Who is he interviewing to get Luke 2? Let me take a little liberty. I'm imagining the innkeeper's daughter. How many of you remember your first babysitter? Or you've been told about your first babysitter? Or maybe you had someone babysit your kids for the first time. You kind of remember that person, right? I wonder. Maybe the innkeeper's daughter was there and heard all the commotion of Jesus' birth. Maybe she was awoken by the ruckus outside. you got to imagine, if you're in a little town, a little village, no electricity hums, no lights on outside, right? It's dark, it's quiet. You hear the animals. It's not like you have closed windows that are vinyl, double pane, saving you power bills. You know, it's like you have this open environment. You're going to hear shepherds coming from the field at night, scurrying in, looking for a baby in a manger. It'll wake you up. Who's telling Luke this? Could it be 
the innkeeper's daughter is like, and, and imagine the way, if it were the innkeeper's daughter, imagine how she would communicate about this birth. It'd be this beautiful moment, right? Like, oh, I remember so cute. Jesus was so adorable, right? It'd be kind of that moment of, yeah. And, but now, 63 years later, right? It'd be more like, I remember. I'm just kidding. I'm not making fun of anybody who's old. Okay, here we go. But, you know, just the reality is this is a long time ago. So this is reaching way back in the memory bank. I just, I think it's interesting to put ourselves in the context. Or maybe it was Mary and Joseph. They would be well along in years, right? Like, so they would probably be in their mid-70s and telling this story. Imagine the story from their perspective. What would Joseph say? Yeah, oh, Mary told me, man, if we don't get a good room there when I'm this pregnant, dude, you are toast. I'm going to whoop you, right? It's like, you got to imagine that. She's very pregnant. She's going there on a donkey. Joseph's like, yeah, I remember. I thought it was the donkey, but, you know, taking care of business. Then I realized it was her water. <laughs> it broke. It was, whoo, wow, that was awesome. And, you know, so it's that moment. You just, what are the realities of this scene? And then a baby's born and placed in a manger. What a humble beginning in Bethlehem. So just let your mind race with a passage like this. And imagine, man, from what perspective did Luke gain the context of this information? I just think it's so wildly interesting. And we have to look at like you know, we have to look at this like a dateline investigation, you know, and you interview all the people. You see all the proof in the stories, and that's what Luke was doing and funded to accomplish. But like any story, there's not only a historical significance, right, the history moment, there's actually a theological significance to what happens. And, and that's where we learn a word today, which is actually the title of the talk for your blank, but we learn this word incarnation, and some of you know it's, it's like a cool little Hebrew word, or Latin word, actually, that means God in the flesh, or just in the flesh, incarnation. See, John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, it goes on to say, the Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's described the theology, if you would, behind this word incarnation, that Jesus was there from the beginning, all the way back in Genesis, in the creation of the world with His Father and the Holy Spirit, and now comes in the flesh. This is crazy, but true. It brings up some in, insightful comparisons and questions with huge theological implications, if you would, that set Christianity apart in the world of religious beliefs. This incarnational belief in Scripture that Jesus is the Son of God for reals, like before the moment of birth. So I, I want to look at just seven of these questions here real quick. Did a person become God? Right? I mean, that's a question that, that you could legitimately ask from this text. Did a person become God? It's, it's a great clarification to make, and the answer is no. A person cannot become God, according to the Bible, right? This goes back to the first 
lie in the garden of Genesis, the account of, of Adam and Eve, right? What did the enemy tell them? What did the serpent tell them? The devil said, here's the deal. If you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. You'll be divine like God. And so they did eat the fruit, and they realized they sinned. They could not be like God. And sadly, this is still something that is taught and deceives many. It's still a tactic of the enemy. Any religion that teaches you can be God or become divine like God is luring you in as the serpent did in the garden. You might ask, nobody teaches that, right? No, it's taught. Mormonism teaches it. Hinduism teaches it. A lot of Eastern religions teach it. Your karma can help you reach divine status. You could change your karma through good works. How about new religious teachings that God is in you, that the divine is just waiting to be awoken and that you'll find it <coughs> Oprah. Anyway, uh, you know, there's all kinds of interesting things out there that are being taught. And there's really only two ways uh, that are taught when it comes to this question, everyone else's way and the Bible. And, and, and it's interesting to realize, oh my goodness, we put ourselves into a corner as Christians. We believe that Jesus, like, has been around before this moment. And everyone, else, everyone else's way shows that there's this great distance between us and God, and, and we have to earn our way back to God. But the Bible teaches us that we don't go up to God. He comes to God us. It's a huge difference. And, and so our pride gets involved, and we try to work our way into heaven, and uh, it just doesn't work. It's about God's understanding of humanity and our failure and reality that we just can't earn our way back. And so He sent Jesus to be the solution for us. And the initiation, the action was from God to us, not us to God. So second question, did Jesus come into existence at his birth? Because some teach that, right? Another question is that, that uh, by some religions is, is to this reality, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, that Jesus was created, uh, he was a created being. Like this is when Jesus came into existence, like in spiritual realm and physical realm. This is the beginning of Jesus' story. Uh, but study in Scripture. Again, Micah 5.2, which we've already read, from ancient times Jesus came. Jesus was around. You read in the beginning, uh, creation of the world, the creation story. You, you, you ever notice that it says we and, and they created the earth? You know, there's, there's more than one. It's God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity belief we have. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says it this way, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. He humbled Himself to come to us. It's a beautiful story, and it does set Christianity apart. Third question maybe somebody would ask about incarnation is, did we borrow it from pagans? You might be so removed from the educational system. Some high schoolers here, you know, you'd learn about the, the, the different stories, if you would, about mythology. 
And there's, there's similar stories of virgin birth concept. And, and you might think, well, the mythology, you know, we're taught mythology is so old. And, you know, man, did, did, is, is Christianity just kind of borrowing this virgin birth concept? Well, historically speaking, the writings and manuscripts of Scripture predate mythology, first and foremost. These prophecies towards a virgin birth were way before mythology came into existence. And besides, mythology is just what it says, myth. And the writings of Scripture uh, actually may have inspired some of mythology. So, I mean, it's interesting to think about that because we desire to be educated. We desire to be in the know. Certain personalities have to systematically and sequentially work out their faith and, and will want to learn it instead of step into it by faith. And when people test our faith and ask us questions, some of these will go, oh, really? Mythology? I didn't know there was a virgin birth. It can make us question our faith, but let me assure you, Jesus and the prophecies of Jesus predate mythology. Number four, did Jesus cease to be God when He became a man? That's a great question, isn't it? Baby Jesus. Now He's just a dude. I love my baby Jesus. Jesus, unfortunately, went to the cross because He continued to confess that He was indeed the Son of God. Uh, he, he, he forgave people, which only God could do, and, and it led to his persecution and, and him going to the cross. The, the cool factor about being God and human was that Jesus was tempted as well in the ways that all you and I are tempted, yet he was without sin, and, and he, he gave us purely human holiness example, but Still, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he, he died and rose again three days later, paying the price of our sins. So, um, think of Jesus as God plus humanity, not God minus. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we God minus Jesus. He becomes a, a wimpy human, right, with long hair, and you're just like, oh, it's, it's that Jesus. We have lots of images of Jesus, don't we, in our head. Fifth question, and it's along the same lines, is Jesus God or man? Well, in fact, He's the God-man. He's both. How about did God have intimate relations with Mary? Did, did we miss a scene because they wanted to keep the Bible like PG rated, you know? And, and it's just like God was like, oh, I better not include that. So Luke was like, oh, I won't write about this. No. You know, he's again going to write about everything he could find about Jesus. We're talking a doctor. He's going to include everything. And if you know anything about Scripture, the good, bad, and the uglies in Scripture. So what's up with Mary? Like, how did this really happen, Thad? Like, she's pregnant, dude. Like, what was up? Well, it says the Gabriel, uh, the angel came to Mary and said that this would be a miracle, a work of the Holy Spirit, that Mary was allowed to conceive without normal process, right? And if Mary was a virgin, which is said repeatedly, then she did not have relations with this, with God. 
I did not have relations with it. Anyway, uh, so, you know, it was not, some of you have no idea who I'm talking about there. And like half the room wasn't even born, right? Anyway, so I'm feeling really old today for multiple reasons. Okay, here we go. Uh, Verse, or, or the final question here is, what is the virgin birth, or why is this such a big deal? The incarnation of Jesus from a virgin is huge because of all the prophecy that led up to this moment. If Mary's not a virgin, then the Bible's not true. It's a big deal. If Jesus is not born of a virgin, then he was not the Son of God, and he was literally just like a really super prophetic, empowered dude that did miracles and stuff. Just a great guy. And if Mary was not a virgin, in the words of her culture, she is what they would refer to as a whoremonger. Isn't that a great word? I love Bible words. Whoremonger. Uh, or, or as maybe somebody would say, tramp in her culture, right? Because she's hooking up with some dude and not telling Joseph about it. Or else Joseph and her hooked up and made up a really good story that everybody bought, right? It's just not reality. Finally, uh, without the virgin birth, everything, everything changes for the worse. So, this is a big deal. So, what does it mean for us today? How, how does this impact us? Well, one, Jesus is like us. Jesus is like you and I. I referenced it just a moment ago. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says this, we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, the high priest, who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Theologian John Stott says it this way, in a world filled with suffering and pain, I could not fathom worshiping a God who was immune to it. Wow, that's rich. Pain is going to come our way, and Jesus felt it too, lived it. He has compassion and grace for the worst that can hit us and the biggest temptations that could come our way, even the ones we give in to. Why is there so much suffering if there is a God, we're asked repeatedly when you're sharing your faith or talking about your faith? Well, why not worship the one that's experienced those same pains and went through all the same temptations of denying God, but yet didn't? I don't know. Number two comforts me. Jesus is unlike us. So number one, Jesus is like us. Number two, Jesus is unlike us. This is important. He was yet without sin, right? We just read that. He was yet without sin. He made it through temptations, finding ways out, so that you and I would know we have the same chance and capacity. That bad things are going to happen, yet we can be without sin. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says it this way, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, common to Jesus even, right? And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He'll also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Number three, Jesus came to make us like Him through His effort, not our own, right? 
We need to be growing in relationship with Jesus and each other. This means we, we need the tension, if you will, of spiritual exercise to grow. We need action and, and accountability. Most importantly, we need to move beyond exploration and into faith in Jesus. We need to begin to read the Word and pray and dialogue about it with others, even if we're just sharing or asking people, like, where's your faith at? Like, where's your world? And maybe they ask questions like these that are like, ooh, that's a tough one. One of my favorite answers to spiritual questions is, that's a great question. Man, let's talk about that. I'm going to go read about it and get back to you. You don't have to be the Bible answer man, the world we live in today. Just Google it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can get some weird answers if you Google stuff, but, you know, shoot me an email or shoot someone an email that has been in the Word a little longer than you. Luke 2, 8 through 20. Let's read the rest of the story. Shepherds and the angels. There were shepherds living out in the fields. Catch that? They're living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. We're included now, right? For all people. And this is important to put that in there, right? Luke, remember who he's writing to? Not just the chosen lineage of God. All people. Verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. It's the Christ the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Whoa! No, I'm just kidding. They weren't singing Hillsong. But they were singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Whoa! Awesome! I, I think they said that before the next line. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord was told, has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Just again, imagine what would that sound like hurrying shepherds into a town looking for the baby Jesus. You'd hear it, wouldn't you? I just think that's cool. So they're looking for him. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What a cool story. The shepherd gig was not one that you'd necessarily choose in life, I don't think. You kind of grew into it. Wanderers, sleeping with animals. Picture Picture those people at the Puyallup Fair that maybe you go into whichever barn it is and you're like, uh, you know how they say like animals and humans kind of grow to look alike after a while? Yeah, 
<laughs> okay, enough said. Anyway, there's, there's some of those, right, in the cat barn and the dog barn and the horse barn. They're everywhere. They dress up a little nicer in a horse barn, though. But, you know, you just look at that and you go, maybe the shepherds were a little like whatever you're picturing. These guys miss church, undeserving, irreligious. That might just have been what God was choosing them for. Remember, what does God say he was all about? What did Jesus say he was all about? He came to seek and save the lost. What a better group of just real people to show up to. Shepherds. I love that. Shepherds in their field. He spreads the gospel to a new audience. That's what I love about reaching those who are far from God, if you would say. You know, maybe they're farthest from the church, haven't grown up in the church, have no religious experience. It's so fun to walk through the Bible with those that are far from God because not only is everything just new to them, there's no presumption as to what the church should be like or its strategy, how it should operate. But all their friends don't go to church either. And so it's this rich world of questions and, and insight. I just love it. And I think God did too as he shows up and spreads the message of Jesus' birth through shepherds. They're the ones going around telling people about the story. They heard, they came and saw, and then they shared. Talk about connecting, serving, and sharing. It's what we're still supposed to do today. So today as you're looking at your connection card, grab that out again and turn it over. Hopefully you filled in the front side. And in that, just look at maybe what response makes the most sense for you today. Maybe you're going to say, well, I need to cross over the line of faith today in Jesus. Because honestly, I've just, I've been kind of questioning Jesus, but I need to really just embrace that this is you answered some of my questions today. I'm going to make this choice. So you're like, I choose Jesus. I choose to follow Jesus. But there's those bottom three on the left-hand side that say, you know, I need to start sharing the story. I've, I, I've made the decision to follow Jesus. I've looked into the Word, but honestly, I've been shy about sharing it. You need to just have that why not courage and make it happen, right? Begin to just open up in conversation. For others of you, you're just starting to seek Jesus. I encourage you, continue to look for Jesus until you find him, just as the shepherds did. And maybe that blank there, God speaks different things to each one of us. And maybe that blank today for you could be you're going to start to read the Bible. Or maybe you're going to start not skipping over portions like Luke 2 and look a little farther. Look at the verses adventurously, if you would. And let God begin to challenge you. Contemplate what your response is as we sing a worship song here in closing. And, and I'm going to pray first here before we worship a little more. God, I thank you for the opportunity we had to come here today. Wake up an hour earlier. Thank you that people set their clocks ahead. And I pray that, God, you would speak clearly to us today from your word. <clears throat> really hundreds of years went into this moment, and sometimes it's easy to just skip over it and think, oh yeah, that's the nativity story. I, I know that one. Let's move on. 
But God, I just pray that we would not skip over something you saw as so critical to the proof of the fact that you sent your son for us. He went all the way through life to the cross for us. He died for us. He rose from the grave to give, give us proof that you can conquer death and hell. And we have a promise of eternal life if we'll just choose to follow Jesus. So if someone's here and has yet to make that choice to follow Jesus, may they well up in their heart and just say, okay, today's my day I choose to follow. But others in this room, God, we need the boldness that even those shepherds got, even those irreligious shepherds all of a sudden had enough boldness to get outside of their natural distanced environment in the field, and they began to share what the angels told them. They had to have known some people would think they were loony, but they did it because they were in awe. And as we sing this song again, Lord, and as we contemplate what our next step is, if anything, help us to leave here today in awe of how you could wrap together over 700 years of prophetic words into one moment of the coming of Jesus through a virgin in Bethlehem. That alone is worthy of our praise. Challenge us today, God, each in our own way. 